Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, who has called us to be messengers of God's love in the world. So maybe some of us are thinking this. Finally, we have a story where Jesus takes charge and gets rid of all those sinners, those lawbreakers, those cheats, those who would oppress the poor and take advantage of the little guy. So we want to say... Yay, Jesus, keep it going. And that's it, right? Well, Jesus had enough, and he just lets go. And that's an interesting moment in his life and his ministry. We know that maybe he was reacting to something that he saw. And when I hear this story... I kind of take it on that maybe this is the Jesus that I want to follow. I want to be courageous in my witness and in the way I stand up for the poor and the oppressed. I want to be right there with Jesus, sometimes kicking over all the chairs as we watch what's going on in the world and sometimes in our church. And we want Jesus to be there to put things straight and put things in order. We especially want Jesus to be there putting away all those who are liars and cheats, corrupt politicians, drug dealers, all those people that make our world such a difficult place to live. It makes us feel good when we have a Jesus that acts the way we sometimes feel like we want to act. But then there are a couple of problems, of course. Uh, I'm not sure that all the people in the gospel lesson for today were sinners. I'm very sure that they weren't lawbreakers, and there's no evidence that they were even cheats. Nowhere does it say in the text that the merchants were painting pigeons white and trying to sell them off as doves or they weren't blackening the hooves of the animals to make them appear more perfect than the others. They were simply selling animals, and folks on their way to the temple needed to buy animals in order to make their sacrifices. And the better the animal was, the more pure was their sacrifice. And they could hardly bring a dove on a journey of a hundred miles or bring along a calf and expect it then to be perfect. So what was being provided was actually a service. So the question then is, was the price outrageous? Was it like trying to buy something at a movie theater where you say, I could make this at home for one-tenth of the price? And I don't think that that's it either, because the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says in our earlier reading of the Ten Commandments is that we should worship and honor God. Sacrifice was the accepted form of worship. And honoring God meant that you would make the best sacrifice that you could. um, And that was it. So the merchants were actually following God's law. They weren't breaking it. In fact, they were helping the temple goers follow the law as well. Yet Jesus was angry. 
So maybe he was angry more at the money changers. Surely we can't have that in the church, right? People changing money and then making a little money on the side. Well, um, the Bible doesn't say that either, that they were cheating people when they were changing the money. It doesn't accuse the money changers of even gambling or doing anything illegal or outrageous. The point of it was that uh, in the uh, old days, uh, you couldn't make an idol of anything. And guess whose head was on the coin that people were using as part of the Roman Empire? It was Caesar's. And so that image of Caesar wasn't appropriate in the temple because it was like an idol. It implied that you're worshiping Caesar and not God. It would have been outrageous to bring these Roman coins into the temple or to offer them for the work of the temple. So the coins were exchanged to the currency of another country that didn't have the Roman emperor's likeness on it. There was no idolatry there. So the money changers were also following the law, following the letter of the law, and helping other people do the same. And yet again, Jesus was angry. So why was that? They followed the letter of the law. And I think the answer lies in the purpose of the law. And thankfully, we can consider the Ten Commandments to understand a little bit about God's law. So what is the purpose of God's law? Why did God give the people following the Exodus and us these Ten Commandments? Was it to make us stop hurting each other? Or was it to help us protect the weak? Or was it to help us create a just society? Or was it to foster polite exchange between all of the different people of the world? There were lots of laws to do that. Thousands of codes and agreements by which we've learned to live together. Some probably better at civil peace and administration than the Ten Commandments. So why did God bother with the law when we can find laws in our world and in society that manage our life just as well? Would God just repeat what we already knew? So in a way, we wonder if that wasn't a waste of sewn tablets. So maybe the point is this, that God's law is different. It's not redundant. It's not exactly the same as the laws of the land. It's different. It does something that all the other laws and codes could not do. And the first lines of the Ten Commandment give us a hint when they say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord your God. It starts by telling us that we have a relationship God and us, never mind anything else. The first thing that we should remember is that 
I am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and slavery. And the next thing you ought to remember is that I don't want you to suffer because I love you. I brought you out of suffering and I guided you closer to me. So maybe the answer is that God's law is about relationship with God. It is meant to bring us closer to God. The letter of the law we know. It is written. The purpose of the law we sometimes forget. It is to foster our relationship with God. It's to bring us closer to God. The money changers and the merchants were helping folks observe the letter of the law. But were they doing anything to actually bring people closer to God? Or were they perhaps keeping people even out of the temple because the entrances were now so crowded, there was so much going on, they couldn't get in, and some people maybe didn't want to because they couldn't afford to get in, so they stayed away because they were ashamed that their sacrifice wasn't good enough or they didn't have the right money. And these folks were being told that their sacrifices perhaps weren't good enough by the merchants and the money changers. And so maybe they were making people feel bad about even coming to the temple. Maybe these money changers and animal sellers were passing judgment on others, perhaps. And is that wrong? What's the problem with pointing a few fingers, keeping track of the people with whom we don't want to associate with because they've broken some of God's laws? Surely that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, right? Helping us to figure out who's in and who's out, who goes to jail and who doesn't, who's keeping the neighborhood safe and who isn't. I am the Lord, your God. Not, I am the Lord, the God of the nation of Israel, or the Lord, the God of all the universe, but I am the Lord, your God. So maybe the Ten Commandments are more personal. It's not a checklist for us to be able to judge others, although we can easily do that, right? And it's not a list of what's appropriate and not appropriate for people who live in our community or who, part of, who are part of our churches. It is a checklist, rather, by which we can review our own lives. In the Ten Commandments, we hear about God calling us to worship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We are honored by God as God's creation and we're expected to learn from each other about love of God and God's love for us. Therefore, we must be respectful of each other. And in doing so, we become respectful of God. So 
when we honor our father and mother, when we don't murder, when we don't commit adultery, when we don't steal, when we don't lie, when we don't covet, we are honoring God. We don't use these words to stand up and point fingers, to draw a line in the stand. We don't use them to decide who comes into the church and who does not, or who needs extra work before they're fully acceptable and who does not. We ought to use these words for ourselves. We review our lives with the letter of the law and then we remember the purpose of the law, which is to bring us closer to God or back to God in this loving relationship that is so important to us. When the words of the law make us wince, we come back to God. When we fall short, we shouldn't run away or feel unworthy. We should feel called to get closer to God. If we lie, if we cheat, if we covet, if we don't have any sense of the Sabbath, we shouldn't stay away because we feel unworthy. We should rather seek God out wherever and whenever we can find God and say, I want to come back. I need you. And I remember that you are with me always, no matter what. Remember that the law is meant to bring us closer to God, not to keep us away. If we're frightened by the letter of the law, we need only look and remember the purpose of the law, and that is to bring us closer to God. But it doesn't always work so easily, does it? When we consider the letter of the law, we are oftentimes ashamed. We know that we don't measure up we feel guilty and convicted, and we understand the purpose that um, sometimes we don't understand the purpose as much as we ought to. Um, so let me tell you a story of a young child that I knew growing up as a kid who loved to go to the corner grocery store taking his allowance with him to buy candies and other things that he wanted. And every week he would go down and pick out a few things, but he would also save money in order to buy some of the bigger things like comic books. And one day he thought he had enough money to buy the comic book for a dollar. And he went down there and the price of the comic book went up to a dollar 25. What was he to do? So he ran around the store a little bit, looking at things, trying to figure out what he was going to do. And he thought, well, if I take it home under my shirt, nobody will know. And then someday later, I can tell Mr. Nelson that I took the magazine, the comic book, and pay him the extra out of my allowance that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks. But he got the comic book home and he started to feel guilt and shame for stealing. And he told a friend because he needed to confess. And the friend did the right thing, told the boy's mother, at which point the boy's mother 
took him down, probably grabbed him by the neck and said, we're going back down, made him apologize to Mr. Nelson and said to him, and he will never be allowed to come back into your store again, ever. At which point Mr. Nelson said, well, I appreciate the apology and I appreciate the extra quarter uh, and you can keep the magazine and please don't keep him out of my store because he's a good kid and I like him and this is a good place for him and he deserves to be here. He's sorry for what he's done and he's forgiven. What a powerful message that was for this little boy to be able to be convicted by the power of the law that said you shouldn't steal. And he felt guilt and shame. He worked it through. He was forgiven by the one he offended the most. And he learned that that's also what God can do for us to forgive us when we come and ask for forgiveness. We can be renewed and refreshed and restored in ways that we might never know. So if the letter of the law convicts us of wrongdoing, then the spirit of the law, which is forgiveness and restoration, can lift us up. If the letter of the law keeps us away from the church and from each other or from God because of guilt and shame, then the spirit of the law responds and brings us closer together. If the letter of the law means punishment, the spirit of the law means life. That's what the merchants and the money changers in the temple in Jesus' day couldn't understand. And that's what we so often forget. That's what made Jesus angry. That's the message that needs to be heard. It needs to be heard by every Bible thumper who wants to point fingers at people because they've done wrong, by every parishioner who would want to keep our churches, exclusive clubs, and not invite everybody in. In the law, God looks lovingly at us and wonders why they keep looking. In the law, God looks lovingly at us and says, uh, it would be terrible if you wouldn't come in here again. I would miss you. I want you in my presence. I don't want you to be alone. Always come back to me. I know that you've made mistakes, but I also know that you have value. In fact, you have more than value. I have a purpose for you and a plan. I know that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are good, because I've made you so. Come in and be with me. Please come in and know I love you. That is the spirit of the law that I believe Jesus is calling us back to on this day, part of our Lenten journey, an important part. Amen.